So my name is Michael Lawrence. I'm the technical editor of Pro Sound Web, Live Sound International, Church Sound Magazine, and a bunch of other productions that you probably have on your coffee table at home and have never read. Uh, I'm also a smart instructor with Rational Acoustics, taco enthusiast, so this is a great place to be. We're really enjoying our time here in Dallas. Um, and today we're going to talk about the absolute essentials of system gain structure. So, as you can imagine, this boils down pretty, pretty quickly. It's sort of like cooking rice or cooking spinach, right? We're not, we're not going to go over a lot of stuff today. What I'm going to give you are the conceptual Legos that you need to make good decisions about system gain structure. We're not going to cover every possible use case. We're not going to cover every possible application. We're going to cover two very basic concepts. And if you can retain those two basic concepts, you're going to make really good decisions about gain structure. Okay? Promise won't hurt a bit. There will be no math today. Um, you can direct your negative comments and uh, other questions. There's my email address. There's my website. At uh, 9.15, I have to be over next door to run the loudspeaker demo. So I'll try to, if anyone has questions or wants to chat afterwards, we'll chat as much as I can. Otherwise, come visit us at the demo. Send me an email. Uh, leave me a, a negative review on the app. Right? Okay. Cool. So do all that. That's cool. All right. Here's the thing. Here's lesson number one. Don't pay me to do this. All right? So a couple times a week, a couple times a month, I'll get a call. Some church somewhere wants me to come fly out and fix their PA system. All right? That's inherently expensive to pay for plane tickets and hotels and for someone to come out and turn the knob. So if you can retain this stuff, you can do it yourself. So you can get paid to do it or you can spend that money on something else, a new console, something fun, maybe the new Xbox that you really want. I don't know, right? But don't pay me to do this. It's not hard. And it's really interesting because the number one problem that I run into when I go to fix somebody's rig is gain structure. So don't pay me to do this. Do it yourself, right? It's not hard. So let's define our terms. What is gain? Anyone got a good definition of gain? Come on. Yes, sir. Okay, great. Let's work with that. So, it's, it's, so gain is, is the change in level of a signal. Okay? So when we talk about gain structure, we're talking about managing how the signal level changes as it moves through your sound system. So our sound systems have a lot of components in them. And most of them will make some sort of change to it. That's why they're in our signal chain. If they don't do anything, it wouldn't make sense to have it in our signal chain unless it's a cable, right? Samantha, right? Okay, so all we want to do is as a signal moves through our signal chain, we want to manage how that signal level changes or doesn't change, okay? Every component in our system is designed to operate at a certain range of levels, okay? It's sort of like you got to put the right type of gas in your car, same thing, okay? So there's kind of a sweet spot where the electronics are designed to operate. And so we want to think of this like Goldilocks, right? That's our gain structure. If the signal level that we send into our device is too high, bad things happen, right? Distortion, we call that clipping sometimes, and literally the, the, the peaks of the waveform get chopped off because they're, they're too high in voltage to be accommodated by the device, right? Overload, that doesn't sound good. If the signal level is too low, it gets closer and closer to the inherent noise floor that every device has because it's made out of stuff, right? Atoms, they're moving around, electrons, they make noise, okay? It's a fact of the universe, unfortunately, unless we all want to go to absolute zero, which I don't. I'm already cold enough in this air conditioning. So um, we have a noise floor at the bottom, and we have our maximum level at the top that we can accommodate, and we want our signals to land in that range. So if they're too low, that's not good. If they're too high, that's not good. We want to find the sweet spot. And every device in our system has a sweet spot. You with me so far? I see not a lot of coffees on table, so I'm a little concerned about 
mental uptake this morning. Are we okay? All right. So here's the whole class in 10 seconds. You can leave after this. I won't be offended, I promise. Number one, get the level as high as you can as early as possible in your signal chain. Number two, don't clip. Thank you. If you want to leave, I'll, I'll wait. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, okay. And that, that's the only meme you're going to get in the slideshow today. So enjoy that while it's there. We'll just kind of dwell on that for a second. Okay. This, right? Oh, bye, Kyle. Thanks for coming. All right. So um, this, is really, this is really the core of what we're talking about. We want to get as high as early as we can to get as much advantage over that noise floor as we can. We call it the signal-to-noise ratio. There's also a very, very popular audio podcast hosted by a very handsome person named Signal-to-Noise um, for the same reason. So, <laughs> so what we want to do is get that level as soon as we get control over that signal coming into our system. We want to get that level up as high above the noise floor as we can, but still leave room for those peaks that are going to come along. That's the whole game. Okay, Everything that we do in game structure is a variation of those two ideas. Is anybody totally confused by this? Everyone okay? See, now you don't know which one to raise your hand for. Right? Okay, so how do we measure gain? We have to know this. No scary math, I promise. Okay? So we have this thing called the decibel, which is usually where people's eyes glaze over if they weren't already glazed over because it's 8 in the morning. Right? Here's the cool thing. When you see a decibel dB with something after it, dBV, dBU, dBm, dBi, those reference signal levels. We're usually talking about power or voltage or DBSPL talks about air pressure. We're not talking about any of those. We are talking about the naked decibel. That's my, that's my church joke right there. Okay, there's your fig leaf, right? So the naked decibel is unreferenced. It is a ratio. This is an important concept that, that most people in our industry struggle with, so it's okay, right? No shame. A naked dB indicates the ratio between two signal levels. So we're not making any reference to actual voltage or actual pressure or actual power or anything. We're just saying how two signals compare to each other. And so most relevant in this context is comparing the output of the device to the input of the device. So we look at the level that came out of the device. How does that compare to the level that went into the device? That's what our dB represents in this case. So be on the lookout for these, for these naked decibels. Because if you look in magazines, hopefully not Live Sound International, because they have a very handsome technical editor who tries to prevent these issues. But right, if you see naked dB talking about SPL, talking about a voltage, that's incorrect. It should say dBSPL. It should say dBV when we're talking about a level. If you see a naked decibel with no suffix, it's always a comparison. So let's do an example. No math, I promise. Okay? Here's our fantastic. Uh, audio device that I've just invented. It's the AudioBox 9001. It's, it's one better than the AudioBox 9000, which was last year's model. Okay? So we have three possible cases here. Everything, again, boils down to this. Number one, the signal that comes out of the device is the same level as the signal that went into the device. Okay? So the ratio between the output and the input is one to one. That's why we call it unity gain. And in decibels, don't do the math, it's too early. That comes out to zero dB. Zero dB means no change in level. So if you look at some consoles, the zero dB position, when you put your fader at zero dB, that means the signal that's leaving the fader is the same level as the signal that came into the fader. The fader is not affecting the level of the signal. That's why on some boards, that position is called unity, labeled with a little u. Okay? And that sort of explains the obsession that many of us have with keeping our faders at unity. Okay? Don't worry, we're going to enter the fray on that fight. I promise it's going to be really awesome. We'll get there. Okay? Case number two. Audio box 9001, here we go. Signal goes in, it comes out at a lower level than it went in. Okay? So the out to input ratio 
is less than 1. When you convert that to dB, it comes out negative. How much negative depends on how much it went down. Negative 10, negative 20, negative 30. When you pull that fader down, the signal is decreasing in level compared to what went in. But they're all negative because the output was less than the input. Make sense? Awesome. Third example, output is higher in level than what went into the system. Okay? So the output to input ratio greater than 1, your dB is positive. So think about an amplifier. We say it has 32 dB of gain. The signal that came out of the amplifier is 30 dB higher, 32 dB higher than what went into the amplifier. So as the signal moves through the device, it went up in level. Those are the only three possible states, unless the thing's turned off, right? Then technically negative infinity, it doesn't matter what came out, nothing came out, okay? So here's the trick. That's simple, but in a typical live sound system, there are a lot of places where we can make a change to the level of the signal. And not just live sound, by the way, broadcast, recording, studio, it's all the same thing. Same idea, right? It's a lot of places. And the problem with this is, is sort of like the idea of having the weakest link in an otherwise strong chain, right? If I take my preamp, the first gain stage that I have control over, and I turn it up too high so I start clipping that signal and it's overloaded and distorted from square one, as that passes through the rest of my system, I can turn it down in later stages, but I'm turning down a distorted signal. So we don't want to do that. If it's too low, at one of these stages. We can turn it up later, but we're also turning all the noise up with it. Right? So if we get any of these wrong, that's going to cascade down our signal path. So every time we have the opportunity to make a change to the level of our signal, we have to consider how to do that. Yes? Comprehension? I appreciate the people taking notes. I think that's really cool. Um, all right. Here's the good news. In most pro audio devices, virtually everything that we deal with in the pro audio world, there's a meter. Every place signal can enter the device, and every place signal can leave the device. So we can see what that level is. And in most cases, we have a level control as well, so we can actually adjust it. And so the meter is our key into this whole puzzle. So how do we make decisions based on that? So in order to answer that question, we have to understand how we talk about signal level. So here's a chunk of a waveform that I grabbed and dragged into Audacity, free audio editor, right? So you can see that the level is fluctuating over time, and sometimes it's fluctuating at high level, and sometimes it's, it's, it's low level, okay? So there's a couple ways to talk about the signal level. First of all, we have peak. You can see that's the highest level that the signal hit. See that? Okay, it's kind of small, I'm sorry. Right? Another one that we need to know is RMS. And RMS stands for root mean square. You don't need to know that. You don't have to write it down. The problem is audio is AC. This is all a big giant footnote, so I'll stand under the, the line. Okay, so it's all uh, audio is AC, so if we just average the signal values over time, we get zero. That's obviously not correct. The power coming out of the wall is AC, so it, if you do a mathematical average, you'll get zero over time. But if you put your finger in the outlet, you'll discover that it's absolutely not zero. Okay, so we need a different way to do the math. So root mean square just means we square all the numbers first, and then we average them, and then we divide it by the square root again. You don't have to retain any of that, but the point is RMS is sort of our go-to in audio for talking about the typical signal level over time. So I'll use the word average conceptually. It's not a mathematical average for the reason I just explained. So the typical level over time is the RMS. It's usually what you can expect to see on a meter, but not always. That's the fun part, okay? So when we talk about, well, what's the signal level over time? What's the average signal level? What's the signal level coming out of this device? Usually we're talking about the RMS, okay? The difference between the two it's called crest factor. 
And this is an important one. What's the difference between the peak and the RMS? In other words, if we set our signal levels for RMS, how much headroom do I need to leave so when those peaks come along, they don't get chopped off? Okay? And guess what? It's different for different types of signals. There's all sorts of really interesting AES papers about Crest Factor. If you're ever having trouble sleeping, send me an email, I'll send you some, they'll put you right to sleep. Okay? Crest Factor varies with program material, but in live sound, our industry has sort of settled on 18 dB as a good rule of thumb. So if we have 18 dB Crest Factor signals, just sort of conceptually, that means if I set my signal levels and I leave 18 dB above that for those peaks, we'll probably be okay. Right? So let's revisit this. I lied about it being the only meme. Here it is again. Okay, thanks Robert Downey Jr. for that one. So, get the level as high as possible, as early as possible, and don't clip. So now we know how to make decisions about those two things, right? So get the level as high as possible, as early as possible. Look at that RMS level on the meter. Turn it up. Stop when we have 18 dB of header. So we have some people who are ready to fight me now. Don't worry, we're gonna, we're gonna go for it. So this is, this is a good baseline, okay? As everything else, there are exceptions to this, but this is, this is a way that you will not be led astray if this is what you shoot for conceptually. So we're gonna target increasing our levels when we get control over them, the first step in the system, right? We're gonna target turning them up until we have 18 dB left, then we're gonna be good. Again, good news. See, it's just the same thing over and over again, I told you. You could have left 10 minutes ago, right? Pro audio devices have meters and level controls usually anywhere the signal enters or exits the device. Okay, so let's talk about the meter because this is the key to the whole puzzle, right? So they look a little bit differently depending on whose console you're looking at or whose DAW you're looking at or, or whose processor you're looking at, but generally they look something like this. Anybody colorblind? Please stand so I can make fun of you. No? Okay. All right, so at the bottom of the meter, that's the noise floor. Usually when the signal's really low, we start turning it up. That's the first part of the meter to come up, usually if it's an LED ladder on consoles or whatever. Down at the bottom. Up at the top is the overload. That's the maximum that we can accommodate before our signal starts to be distorted, okay? So usually they're green at the bottom, they're red at the top. In the middle, there's an orange or a yellow. And almost without fail, that transition from green to orange, yellow. Is there a word for orange, yellow? No? Okay. Um, that transition where the meter goes from green to yellow or green to orange is almost universally 18 dB below the maximum level of the system. So it gives us a really easy target. So all of a sudden I don't have to worry about the numbers because this is where we get into the weeds and people get confused. Should my gain structure be different on digital than analog because the meters don't look the same. So it's a, it's a reasonable question, right? On a digital desk, usually but not always, the meters are in what we call DBU, which references a particular voltage reference to 0.775 volts RMS, which you don't care about because it comes from old telephone technology. Not that interesting, but zero DBU on that meter is right where it goes from green to yellow. That's kind of where we want to target on an analog desk, and at that point, you will probably have about 18 dB of headroom. Wonderful. On the digital side of things, that point where it changes from green to yellow is probably about negative 18, right? So again, what are we measuring digital DBFS? By the way, notice the suffixes, DBU, DBFS, now we're talking about signal levels. DBU is reference to a voltage, describing the voltage. DBFS, decibels full scale, that is reference to the largest signal level that we can accommodate without overload. It's a digital value, so zero is at the top. Zero is, zero is our maximum level, everything else is below that, that's why it goes negative. Don't worry about that, the point is, 
We want 18 dB of headroom there. So on a digital desk with digital meters, shoot for about negative 18. Now that's something that's kind of fun. Oh, there's no meters on this. There are, there are meter, <laughs> there's meters on this poster that you can't see because the podium's in the way. This is a digital console. This is the Allen Heath Avantis. There's three of them over in the next room. The meters on this are analog style meters. So you guys can see it over here, right? So you can see that there's zero in the middle and that's where it goes from green to yellow and then it goes up above that. So some manufacturers put the analog style meters on the digital desk. All you need to know is I'm gonna go for that area where it goes from green to yellow. That's my target. At that point I get 18 dB above, okay? Does that make sense? So all of this gets really, really, really simple. Don't worry about the numbers, right? I told you, no math. Okay, let's look at some examples. So we have device A and device B, and device A is connected to device B. Signal is going to flow from the output of device A to the input of device B. If device A's output level is too low, then what we have to do with device B is turn its gain up, or turn its input trim up, or turn its sensitivity up, whatever term we're using that day. Turn it up to get that signal to a nominal level. You see on device B, now we're sitting right where we want to be. We're kind of green to orange, green to yellow right in there. The problem with that is device B can push, sorry, device A can push device B into overload now. See that? So we have a gain bottleneck in our system where we can't run device A up as high as we want because device B is going to bottleneck or we're going to get into overload. It's not a good situation, okay? So let's look at another bad situation. Device A has a really hot output. So we have to take device B and turn the input down. Or the other way around thinking about this, maybe you have device B and it doesn't have a gain control on it. Old amplifier maybe, right? We have to drive device A really hard just to get to a decent level on device B. So now device A is being driven to overload and it still can't get device B where it needs to be. Do we see that there's a mismatch here? That's the concept. Is that a question or just itchy ear? Okay, that's cool. If you have a question, you can just yell it out. We've all been really trained, like, because of this whole Zoom thing to turn our mics off and just scream. I don't care, it's fine. All right. Here's what we want to do. Device A, device B, they match, right? There's no wasted headroom in this system. They're both going to clip at the same time. So we're not leaving any headroom on the table. And we don't have anybody going into overload before everybody else. So there's no bottleneck. There's no... Wasted headroom. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Right? Okay. Very thoughtful utterances. I appreciate that. So this is the idea. Everything in your signal chain clips at the same time now. That just got a lot simpler, didn't it? Now when I look at the meters on my console, I know how much headroom I have on my console. I know how much headroom I have on my amps, how much headroom I have on my processors, how much headroom I have on my IEM transmitters. Pretty cool. Let's talk about signal levels. Okay, so we have three basic signal levels that we work with in Pro Audio. The first is called mic level. It's first because it's first in the signal chain, right? This is the first that we encounter. Usually we come, out, come into a microphone. What comes out of the microphone? Not this one because it's wireless, but if I had a SM58 in my hand, there's some pins on the back of that. Sound waves go into the front. What comes out the back is voltage. That's a very low voltage. Why? Because it's created by sound waves in the air, okay? It's a low voltage. It's fractions of a volt, usually a tenth of a volt, hundredth of a volt, something like that. We call these mic level signals. They're, they're very low in level. So the first thing we need to do when they get into our console is raise them up. Okay, we need to get them up away from the noise floor of all the electronics that they're about to pass through inside the console. Now, someone says, oh, well, it's a digital console. It doesn't have electronic noise floor. It has a mathematical noise floor. It's not that interesting, but it's conceptually, it's pretty similar. Okay? 
So as soon as it comes into the console, it hits our preamp, usually the red knob at the top of the channel strip, we turn that up. We raise that signal up. Internally inside the desk, you can actually tell what signal that's hitting. Again, you have meters for that. But line level signals, if you're talking about analog devices, analog mixers, the analog DSPs, analog, you know, your vintage compressor in the rack, whatever, okay? About a volt. Now I'm saying about here because why? Our signals change level over time. So we're talking about RMS, we're talking about nominal, we're talking about typical. Sometimes it's below that, sometimes it's above that. But this is sort of the general classification. Line level signals. So if you take something like a microphone and you plug it directly into, uh, I don't know, a guitar effects pedal, it doesn't work very well because the guitar effects pedal is not built to accept a mic level signal. It's built to accept something higher. There's one that I left off called instrument level. It's in between. Okay. Um, this is a topic of great contention usually. Um, and then the last thing that we have to think about is what happens when we leave our console, we go to our DSP, our processor, you get to the amplifier, what comes out the back of the amplifier, we call speaker level signal. Because in order to actually move the cones of the speakers and make these parts mechanically move and reproduce sound waves in the air, we need more power. Okay? Speaker level signals, depending on the strength of the amplifier, can actually get pretty serious enough to hurt you. That's why the amplifiers are kind of the one thing in our system that we're not supposed to just open up and stick your fingers inside, right? So speaker level signals, 10 volts, 20 volts, 30 volts, they can actually rival what comes out of a power outlet. But the majority of our signal chain is line level. Because we take the mic level signals from the mics, we bring them into the desk, the first thing we do is use our preamp to push them up, and they stay pretty much there the whole way through until they hit the amplifier or powered speaker, and the amplifier is built inside, that's a line level signal that goes into the back of the speaker. Okay, so line level is sort of our world here. We following this? Any, whoa. Any questions or itchy ears? No? Okay. All right, so I'm not going to mess with these speakers, but what I want you to imagine is if I went over to the back of uh, let's say I went to the little mixer that's up on stage here. I won't do it. I turn the output down really far, maybe negative 40. Okay. I then have to come over to these speakers and turn their input gain all the way up to get back to the same level that I'm talking to you right now. So the total gain from the mic to the output of the speaker didn't change. We just redistributed it. So if you want to think about the level going into the mic and then the level that's coming out of the speaker, we can describe that as, as gain, right? So we say, okay, between here and there, it went up 40 dB or whatever, right? Pick a number. So if this is the level that I want to be at and I turn the mixer down, I have to turn the speakers up to create the same level. But I changed where that gain happens. And when we talk about gain staging, that's what we're talking about. And so now I've created an unoptimal solution because the signal that's leaving this little console over here is a low-level signal. It's going to be well below nominal line level. It's going to be really close to the noise floor. So when I add 40 dB of gain over here, we're also increasing the hiss and the noise and all that crap by 40 dB. That doesn't sound good. Okay? Likewise, maybe I turn these speakers down. Let's go the other way. Now to get back to the same level that I'm talking to you, I have to go over to the mixer and I have to turn it up really loud, turn it up really high. Right? So this little guy is going to hit a point where he's in overload He's clipping and he still can't get the level that we need. And this is a huge problem. Churches buy new PA systems every five years like clockwork and they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars and they go, well, it doesn't go loud enough. And nine times out of ten, it's not the speaker, it's the gain structure is not right. 
you can't drive it to the level that you need to drive it to without something overloading, right? So you can bottleneck your whole system like this, and you can end up with a, with a $500,000 system that sounds like a pair of powered speakers on sticks because your gain structure is wrong. Okay, so we want to talk about, I know this is not the leadership room, but we want to talk about being good stewards of the resources and the money that we have, right? Rather than buy something new, let's make sure the stuff we are using actually works properly first and is set up right. Like I said, don't pay me to do that. Okay, so I have a wireless mic transmitter here. If I turn the, the, the trim down all the way on the transmitter, so it's a really quiet signal at the receiver, or I turn the, the output down on the receiver itself before it goes into the console, then I have to go to that console preamp and crank that gain all the way up. And again, same thing. It's really loud, it's hissy. Probably gonna get to a point where I'm over-modulating the wireless just to get to the signal that I need on the console. That's no good. Or the other way around. If I have a really hot signal coming out of my receiver, I overload the mic preamp. Now it's distorting, I turn the preamp down. That, that didn't really help the distortion, right? You can actually overload the, the capsule. We get into this in musical theater all the time. You have an actor that sings really loud. They're actually overloading the physical capsule. It's, it's physically over-excursion, it's, it's bottoming out, right? It's distorting. So we go, we turn our preamp down, that doesn't solve it. Now it's just distorted and quiet, right? That sucks. Um, okay, and so then we go, oh, we gotta change the trim on, on the pack. Turn the trim on the pack down. Same thing, it's distorted and quiet because the actual physical mic element is what's overloading. So if you don't get this distortion stuff right, you're gonna be chasing it through later stages. You don't know where it's coming from, okay? So, so this is the, the importance we all understand that between my mic and that speaker there, there has to be a certain amount of gain. But it really matters where that gain ends up. Who has used, to be honest, who has used the output gain module on a compressor to get more level? We've done that, right? Okay, so <laughs> that's a, a compressor is something that, that you know, will reduce those peaks. And so we, there's some level loss as a result of the compressor working and the output gain is there to bring that level back up. But if you're like, wow, my signal's too quiet, I'm gonna, oh, I can get some gain in the compressor stage, 12 dB, it's not meant for that. So that's a little red flag in your head. Something else is wrong here. Why can't I get the level that I need? What's wrong? Is the, is the mic receiver set to line level instead of mic level? Is the preamp set wrong? Okay, so when you find yourself doing those things, stop and figure out what else is the problem. Yes? Sure. Okay, so compression, actually, let's, Let's get to the console stuff, because that, that's where that wants to live. So, but yes, great question. Any other questions before we keep going? What's the, what's the approximate voltage of instrument? Probably half a volt, somewhere in there, yeah. Uh, it, so, not an eight in the morning concept, but the, the biggest difference between instrument level and mic level and line level isn't voltage, it's impedance. Just, that's why you need transformers and DIs and pads and stuff, right? It gets, it gets messy. Um, I'm happy to chat with you about that, but I don't want to put everybody to sleep with it. All right. Um, so the console, right? This is what you came for. Let's, I'll be honest. This is why you're here. Console game structure. Which side's you going to take? Is he going to tell me to put my faders up first or you can tell me to turn my preamps up first? I'm going to punch him, right? Okay. So this requires more thought because when we get to a console, we have a lot of places in our signal chain where we can affect the gain. A, a console is nothing but a bunch of gain stages. Some of them, Here's an interesting concept for you. Gain stages that only apply to certain frequencies, that's called an EQ. Mm. Right? But that's all we're doing. We're managing signal level and we're combining signals together. And we're sending them to different places at different levels. Our console is just a bunch of gain stages. So we have mic level signals coming in at mic level. We've got to raise them up to line level with our preamps. That's where everything else in the console is designed to operate. Then it goes through channel processing, gates, compressors. 
EQ, and then fader. Okay? We have a main fader left, right, the big red ones on the right, right? Subgroup faders, they have levels. Some buses have bus trim. And then most consoles have a top level, what's called a matrix, a bus for their buses. I can take my aux buses or my groups or my left, right, and send them to a matrix. I can control the gain there, too. So we have a lot of places to dig ourselves into a pit here, right? So there's two approaches on this, and if you spend some time Googling this, it gets pretty ugly. People argue till they're blue in the face or to the gills or to the teeth or whatever expression you want to use about arguments here. There are two popular approaches that are taught to beginners, and each school of thought thinks the other school of thought is absolutely crazy and wrong. So in a way, you don't know if you're looking at ProSound Web Forums or you know, CNN or something like that, right? But here they are, presented here without comment, and then we're going to jump in. So school of thought number one says, when you get your signals coming into your desk, turn your preamp up to that nominal level like we talked about. So it's just green to, green to yellow, orange right in there. And then turn your fader up as high as you need it to get the level you need in the space. If you do this on a, on a modern system, your fader will probably end up somewhere around negative 20 or so, depending on the source. And that bothers people. So the other approach is I'm going to put my fader at zero first. Put it up to nominal. They're going to make a nice straight line on my fader so I can feel really good about it. Looks great, right? When I'm on the front cover of live sound, everyone will think I have great gain structure. And then I'm going to turn up my preamp as much as I need to get the level in the space. Okay. So the problem with, with both of these that we need to consider, and there are pros and cons to each. I think I have a slide for pros and cons. Yes, okay. So let's talk about fader, fader, fader to zero. Put my fader up to zero. I'm going to increase the preamp gain until it's loud enough. Okay? Keeps all your faders to zero. It's, it's, it, you look great. But it, it, really, importantly, it's actually useful to have a fader at zero. When it's down to negative 40, it's hard to mix because you move it a millimeter and you've changed by 10 dB. That stinks, right? So, so the fader law is more stretched out. We have more resolution at the fader around unity. So there's a really good argument to have your faders there. They're actually useful to us. Okay? But the problem is if you, if you, if you have your fader at zero, you turn your preamp gain until it's just loud enough. The problem is since the preamp level is going to end up pretty low, the overall signal level through the console, everything that's in between the preamp and the fader, high pass filter, compressor, EQ, insert points, that's a fun one. We're going to take the signal out of the desk and send it to something else in a rack and bring it back in. All of that is operating now way below line level. Mm, yeah, so we have a lot of opportunity here to add noise and, and stuff like that. And the problem with, particularly with hardware inserts, for those of us who still do that, is those are typically unbalanced. We're not talking about that today, but another opportunity to pick up noise and signal degradation because it's not a balanced signal. So that's, that's a kind of a, a risk that we take. Okay? So the signal-to-noise ratio is, is not ideal. We're probably sacrificing 25 dB or so on signal-to-noise. And um, great, great podcast, by the way. Um, so the problem is that, you know, there's an argument to be made. All right, so we're in an arena. If the system output tops out at 110 dB, and we have 90 dB of dynamic range, you know, the, the electronic noise floor of the system falls well below the acoustic noise floor in the space, so it's not a problem. That's an argument to be made. Um, in some situations, that's true. In a lot of cases, it's not true. We've all heard a hissy PA system before. So that, there goes that argument, right? Um, and, and the other thing that's annoying is, since we have these really low-level signals, negative 30, negative 40 on a digital console, right, coming through our channel strip processing, 
We want to use our compressor. We got to grab that threshold and crank it down, right? Just get it, ah, just get down there so we can get the signal level because the signal level is so low. That's not helpful. We put compressors and just crank them all down, right? It's really hard for the compressor to do its job when the signal level is coming in so low. So let's talk about compressors. Who had the question? You? Oh, you. Okay, great. So um, compressors set a threshold. It's like the you must be this tall to ride the ride sign, right? Below, <laughs> below that threshold, nothing happens to the signal. Just goes on through. Um, you know, it's, it's actually more like the bar at the Dunkin' Donuts drive-thru. So you don't go through this drive-thru or your truck's going to hit the, the yellow thing. Yeah, okay, that's what we're talking about here, right? So if the signal's under the threshold that you set with your compressor, it passes right through. If the signal exceeds that level, it gets turned down by a certain amount. How much? A ratio. 3 to 1, 4 to 1. So if it's 4 dB above the threshold, it comes out and I set it to 4 to 1, it comes out 1 dB above the threshold. It's turned down, okay? The higher above the threshold the signal is, the more it gets turned down. We call that gain reduction. And the whole point is we have a different amount of gain reduction as the signal level changes. So if we're then going to take this makeup gain knob and adjust it, I'm going to get some of that level back. How much do I get back? Because the gain reduction created by the compressor is different from moment to moment. There's a problem with that, right? So typically, again, what's it typically doing? If this channel's living in 3 dB of compression, I'm going to maybe give 3 dB back. I typically don't end up doing too much makeup gain on compressors because, as we're about to see, we're going to end up with more signal level than we need downstream anyway, so I'm not worried about getting that back. Trust me on that for a second. So there's nothing really wrong besides the stuff we just talked about if you want to do this approach if all you're doing is driving a PA like we are here today, right? My mic goes to the mixer, goes to speakers. As soon as I need to go to monitors, in your monitors, floor wedges, a stream, a recording, the signals that are leaving my desk are far below nominal line level. And in a modern PA, these things, I can turn these things out, everyone will leave the room before these get into clipping, right? So that's not an issue because we have so much voltage gain in modern speakers that we can still get to the SPL that we need in the space. But when I drive that same signal that's far below line level into in-ear monitors, into the amp that powers our wedges, into Vimeo or YouTube or whatever, or Facebook, whatever we're streaming to, those, those are very low level signals now. Okay, so we've created a situation where the stuff that we're doing between the preamp and the fader, like our, our gates, our compressors, the dynamics processes, we're feeding them such a small dynamic range signal, there's no high levels in there, that we have to really futz with them to get them to work right, and then we send this out and we can't get enough level in the wedges. The PA is really loud, we can't get enough level in the wedges, the send to the wedges all the way up, and the lead singer's saying, I still want more, and you're like, how do you want more? How can you not hear yourself? It's so freaking loud out here, but it's not loud up there because we have a very low level signal coming into the amplifier for the wedge. Everyone with me? Everyone want to punch me in the face yet? Okay. Gain structure approach number two. Set the preamps first thing, as soon as we get custody of our signal, turn that level up, okay? So now we have line level signal hitting the console as soon as it leaves the preamp. So all that stuff in our signal chain now is gonna operate as designed. You hit insert on your compressor and it just works. You don't have to turn the threshold down by 40 dB, okay? If you're sending it out to an insert point, it's at line level, it's happy. You're not picking up noise and hiss and stuff along the way. When you want to go to your pre-fader mixes like our monitors, turn that knob up, you're going to get to the proper level because you're sending a full line level signal to that monitor amp and you get the level that you need. You're not cranking all your, your aux sends up to plus six just to get there, right? Problem is, kind of stinks out in front because our faders in the main mix 
Again, our main PA has a ton of voltage gain in a modern system. So our faders end up really low, negative 30, negative 40, that kind of stinks. They're not useful down there. Right? So if we want nominal preamp levels and we want nominal fader positions, we end up with signal levels that are probably too high for what we're trying to do. And so the, the great logical fallacy that everybody in the street subscribes to that is not true is that you have to pick between those two approaches. And that's where people fall into these two camps. And it's silly. And I'm here to tell you today that we can all be friends. You don't have to pick. You can have the best of both worlds. Call the next 10 minutes and you get a free waffle iron. Uh, the one in my hotel makes Texas-shaped waffles. It's really, really cool. Yeah. Give it up for La Quinta. Okay, so here's what we want. We want to have our preamp set at nominal levels so everything in our channel strip processing works well. All the stuff that goes to insert effects works well. All the stuff that goes out to our mixes, our recordings, our streams is at line level. Everything's happy. But we also want to figure out a way to get our faders up to nominal so they're useful to us. And this results in really, really high signal levels even at desk. So we need to turn it down somewhere. Where do we turn it down? A couple options depending on where you end up, right? So if you are on an installed system and your console goes to the processor, which goes to your amps, I'm going to set it up the way that I showed you in the first example. When my console is at full scale output, it's sending the largest signal that it can, so is my DSP. So when my console is just shy of clipping, so is my DSP and so are my amps. So everything's going to clip at the same time. But that requires having access to the processor and setting those levels and having the associated knowledge to make sure that we set our limiters right so we don't blur our PA up, right? <laughs> that laugh sounded like it was very knowing. Okay, so, so, that's, so that's a solution for an installed system and, and typically an integrator who knows what they're doing will set it up exactly like that. So when you turn your console up all the way, you cannot push your system into overload downstream. Everything's going to clip at the same time. What's really nice about that is I can use the meters on my console to tell how much headroom my system has. I don't have to go to the amp closet down the room or in the high school that I worked on one time, the amps were in a classroom like three floors down inside a closet that no one had the key to. So I can't see the meters. Not optimal, right? So what if it's a guest console? You're touring in your own desk, you go into a club, we got our own desk, we're going to plug into your system. Okay, so here's my rule. Main left right never leaves my desk directly via an output, ever. It always passes through a matrix. So a matrix is sort of like a you know, poor man's uh, DSP and it doesn't give us all the benefits of a DSP and it's not a substitute for a DSP. So if you're using your matrix for processing your system, don't get a, get a processor. But it gives me a gain stage. That's really what I need here, it gives me a gain stage. So my main left right, and hang out at Unity, all my faders can hang out around Unity where they're all useful to me. That goes into a matrix. If I need to turn that matrix down by 9 dB, wherever I need the right level in the room when I plug into their system, I'm going to do that. And then it's on a different layer and I flip away from the matrix and I forget about it. It's great. If their system's too basic, I go, gee, I'd really have to turn down your subs, but I can't do that. I don't have access to your processor. I EQ my matrix. I didn't have to touch my mix. I didn't have to change the level of the base in my mix. We are familiar with this idea where we take a recording we know and we play it through our system and we kind of like EQ the system to make it sound like, we, like the recording sounds good, right? System EQ, room EQ, whatever you want to call it. If not EQ in the room, that takes a bulldozer, but you understand what I'm saying. If you don't do this and you're like, wow, this system has really high subs, 
you got to go to your kick drum, turn down your mix, change the EQ. You got to go to your bass, turn down your mix. You got to ride your high pass filters further up on all your mics. You're remixing your whole show every time you go into a different room. Don't do that. Treat your board mix like the reference recording. Do the EQ you need to make that board mix sound right on your matrix. Don't touch your board mix. You don't have to build a new board mix every day. Do it on the matrix. And when you get to the next venue, zero your matrix out, start over again. So I got the EQ stage, I got the gain stage on my matrix. Now, those of you who have been paying attention, which is probably one or two of you because it's 8 a.m., right? We'll point out, yeah, but aren't you still turning it down, right? So you still have too low of a level leaving. Yes, we are making a, we are making a signal to noise. Great podcast. Uh, we are making a signal to noise compromise, right? I'm going to keep doing it until it becomes funny to you. It's like family guys. So just laugh and then we'll move on. Okay, right? So we are making, we are making a compromise by, by turning that matrix down. But it's by far the cleanest way to do that if we can't get into the system downstream. Okay? And that means that I don't have to ask the house tech for anything. It's great, right? So we get, we get everything we want. We get nominal levels at preamp, so all our, input, our, our input processing works great. Our insert effects work great. Our, our compressors and gates work great. My faders are at zero where I want them. My main fader is at zero where I want it. You could turn the main fader down, yeah, but that just looks crazy, right? That's the best justification I have for not doing that. It looks crazy. I want to put on a matrix and I want to forget about it, okay? So we get everything we want. And so, so that's the answer. If you're thinking about this in terms of two schools of thought, well, do I want to turn my fader up and then my preamp, or do I want to turn my preamp and then my fader, you are ignoring all the other gain stages in your system. That's what they're there for. And all of a sudden, you can have everything you want, and it's magical, and if you call in the next 10 minutes, I'll send you a Texas waffle iron. Uh, so that's all I have for you. I promise it wasn't painful, it wasn't confusing. Hopefully, any questions or comments, happy to answer anything. Any itchy ears? No? Okay, well, I'm happy to. Oh, yes, sir. So, so like, what was it before we got out of your game? When I first was your favorite, is that, you don't have to like necessarily refer to the favorite as like, okay, I'm messing with the game. What I say is, here's the game, here's the game, right? Great. What a great question. So the question was, on typical console, when we move the fader up or down, we are changing the gain of the signal. Like we talked about, we don't refer to that as gain. We talk about the, the preamp. We call that the gain. Why? That's a great question. And sometimes Yamaha calls it head amp, right? So the preamplifier, full name, tells us exactly what it does. It's a preamplifier. It's an amplifier that amplifies the signal before it goes through everything else, right? So, so its only function in life is to supply gain. That's probably why it's called that. The fader fades. That's probably why it's called that. So it's, it's, in, in a way, it's, it's, it's terminological, but the big distinction is the preamp is before all your processing and the fader is after. So if I turn up my preamp, now my compressor is going to behave differently. If I move my fader, I am just keeping that, you can think of it like a mastered stem. I'm keeping that signal. It's processed the way I like it. I'm just changing the overall level. I don't have to change the processing. If I have a pre-fader sound like for a monitor, I turn up that preamp, everybody's monitors went up. If I do the fader, no one's monitors changed, just the level in the mix. So sometimes we want one or the other. Bass player changes to a new bass, it's got active pickups. Well, it's really loud. Yeah, I'm gonna turn the preamp down, I want it down for everybody. Time for the guitar solo. I don't wanna change the monitors, I'm gonna take the fader up. So they do two fundamentally different things. That's the best answer I have for you. Is that, is that helpful? Awesome, I got two thumbs up on that one, yes. Yeah. 
Another amazing question. Are you guys plants? Um, okay, so digital console has a preamp and then a trim. What's the difference? If you want to know a lot about this, talk to Mr. Turnside there in the back. Um, so the preamp is an analog circuit. It's literally a little amplifier, right? It creates an it takes an input voltage and creates an output voltage. That hits the analog to digital converter. Trim is digital. Once the signal's digitized, we can raise it or lower it. That's just a, you know, you're adding or subtracting digital values. But you still have to hit that converter at the right level. So if it's, if it's, not, if it's not hitting the converter high enough, you can add that, that trim up and just you know, increase that digitally, but you still have, you still have the input voltage just hitting the converter at too low a level. So again, they do fundamentally different things. Another reason I think that's helpful, number one, if you're sharing preamps, we have to agree on one preamp because it's going to two consoles, but it's digital, so I can't control your preamp, but I can take my side of it down at the top of the channel strip still. So I still have a top of channel strip level setting. That's one thing. The other thing is on older desks, particularly older Midas Pro series, those preamps had five dB steps. Click, 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 click. They were remote controlled. So maybe I want something in between. You use your trim. There's two answers for you. Is that helpful? Yes, sir. That's a great question too. Yeah. So, so the idea with, if you picture a console and they literally take a buzz saw and cut the preamps off, that's where your virtual sound check tap points go, right at the converter, right? So the preamp goes up to whatever, it goes to a console, it goes to the quarter. So in theory, when you go to a virtual sound check, the signal that's coming back into the desk should be exactly what it was when it was a live signal. So I would posit that if those signals aren't correct, they may not have been correct when it was the live input. Check your, or check your DAW, make sure there's nothing there. But if you run your DAW at Unity on all those, on all those playback channels, what's hitting the desk should be exactly what it was with the preamp. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's an option. If, yeah, use, your, use your trim and then, then put it back after, right? Yeah, save your scene, all that stuff. If phantom power drastically changes the input level, your desk's probably broken. Um, it, it shouldn't, there's actually, this is kind of interesting, and we're not going to get into electrical engineering, but you know, you're talking about when you start loading down, so you have 6.6K resistors, I think, in tandem. So you're going to have some, you're going to have some level drop as you use Phantom with more channels. Um, it gets into like desk power supplies and stuff. I, I wouldn't, that wouldn't be a technique that I resort to to fix a gain structure problem, because it's probably going to be different with different hardware. Sorry, that's a crappy answer. Okay. <laughs> Anything else? Cool. Well, uh, you can email me individually. You can come bother me, uh, text me, call me, whatever, knock on my house at 2 a.m. That's fine. Thank you very much for your attention. I know it was early. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Come visit us at the demo. Have a great time.